So what's happening? What up with it? What you know good and what it do? We'd like to thank you for tuning in and spending your time with us. You're listening to Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative and entertaining podcast in this pandemic land. We're hitting you with the dopest topics, the rawest opinion, why giving you the straight up facts. That's right. No fake news here. I'm Jewel St. James. Dear press. No fake. We're giving sight to the blinds today, ladies and gentlemen. On today's pod, we'll be pulling back the curtain on yet another murder of the unarmed person of color, George Floyd. Fellas, what's popping? Man, uh, Jules, you, you, man, you sound good over there, brother. Loud and clear. <laughs> yeah, man, you got man. the, gold, the, you got you, the golden vocals over there. Man, okay. you, you, got, you, you got the golden mic over there now, huh? Oh, yes, sir. You're the 800 number. <laughs> man, I, I got it from, uh, from Eddie Murphy himself. <laughs> you silly bro. but you know but of course i came back now 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 miss miss madam mayor i came back before curfew so i'm all good there you go you gotta make sure what's the what time's curfew eight o'clock nine o'clock i don't know who knows you said eddie murphy you talking, <laughs> i don't you think they <laughs> you said eddie murphy you talking norbert eddie or which eddie you talking about <laughs> uh the golden child, Eddie. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but man, this, this uh, it, it's been some, it's been some crazy times, guys. I mean, we uh, this this episode, you know, for our listeners, this one's going, this one's probably going to hit home for a lot of people. We hope, and for some people, you know, it's going to make you uncomfortable, and that's the reason why we do these type of conversations. Uh, uh. This one's been heavy on my heart, and we wanted to take some time to before we got into it, and wanted to make sure that some of the facts from what's going on right now would, would come out, so we weren't speaking uninformed. But I was going to start and just tell you guys from my standpoint, uh, being a Black American in 2020 is just uh, it's very uncomfortable. Just seeing some of the things that are going on in the news. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but it's it's just been tough to see some of the stuff that's going on right now. Uh, it's definitely uncomfortable. I mean. You've seen the worst, the worst of times this year. I mean, 2020 has been horrible. I mean, we went from losing Kobe to COVID to to George Floyd to rioting. Uh, I don't know how you top it. I mean, I, I don't know how you top where you're at right now. It can't get any worse at this point. And then on top of that, we just had an episode, uh, episode nine, where we were doing justice for Ahmaud Arbery. And here we are back again talking about another brother uh, that was uh, that was killed. And let's also not uh, forget uh, Christian Cooper, who was a burner in uh, Central Park, how he was weaponized uh, by the, the woman with her dog. I mean, man, this has been a, it's mm. been a rough last couple of weeks. Man, it, it, it has. But you know what? Uh, I talked to quite a few people. Unfortunately, it's not going to be the last either. So we're gonna keep having these conversations. Uh, it's just we, it's just we, we, we just living in these times, man. I, I, I just can't explain it any better or make sense of it. But one thing we can do is what we're doing now. We, we're gonna educate some folks. I think that's what the, the biggest thing we need is, is essential is, is education and let people know what you can and can't do and, and how to deal with things. Yeah. After these these incidents is is a catalyst for 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 something greater, and 
just getting over the pain and the suffering and, and just sitting back thinking, you know, what can we learn from this and how can we use it and apply it? You, you know, these these people deaths won't go in vain. So we it's 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 we'll we'll go we'll get through it. I mean, 2020 is 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 rough for on 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 black men and stuff and just things in general, but we'll get through it. We have we have since the beginning of time and we won't stop now. No, I, I agree with you 100 percent man. And I'll I'll tell you we've seen a lot of uh we've seen a lot of protests uh, around the uh around the country. Um I'm not going to get or let looters uh, have any moment uh, on this podcast. We're not going to discuss that. Those people are trying to take away from a movement that I think is being peaceful for the most part. And there's people out here that are really in the right mind frame. They are looking for actual real change, right? And I don't condone uh, the actions of these people that are out doing the things that they're doing. But at the same time, I'm also not going to come down on the oppressed. Uh, my my viewpoint and my anger and frustration is with our oppressors, and that's what I want to discuss here on this on this episode here, so fellas. We want to f- talk about you know the situation that happened with our brother George Floyd. Talk to me, man. Give me a little background and, and tell our audience a little bit about who George George Floyd was as a man. I mean, the best way the best way to look at uh, who George Floyd was, he was a man. He was a black man. You know, he was born in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He grew up in Houston. Uh, most of his family still lives there. Uh, he was a you know he was a you know he was a standard athlete in high school, and you know he moved to Minneapolis at some point uh, a few years ago to uh, try to you know basically you know live life differently, and you know. He's a he's a he's a person you know he's a man that could have been your uncle he could have been your cousin he could have been your brother, and he just wanted better out of life so he moved to Minneapolis and searched for a better life in that situation. I mean, you know when you're a black man and you're over six feet, a lot of people treat you differently. They they think that you're son they think you're this violent person. So I think you know just to know that George was a gentle giant. You know, it's a it's something that a lot of people get demonized for your size or your skin color. And, you know, he definitely probably experienced that a lot, a lot in life. I mean, I know being a black man and and feeling some, some people think you're threatening sometimes. Some people think that, you know, you're up to no good and it just, you know, it's a tough path. I mean, he was, I mean, George is loved by everybody in his hometown. I mean, he worked jobs in security uh, for Congo Latin Bistro uh, the local Salvation Army, and he also was a truck driver. I mean, he was a he was a quiet guy from what, from what I gather, and he liked to have fun. I mean, the biggest, uh, the biggest, the biggest, uh, biggest and saddest thing in this situation, he leaves behind two daughters, a six a six year old and twenty two year old. I mean, that's a tough gamut there right now. You know, leave two kids behind who had to watch you lose your life like that, pretty much on video and on TV over and over. That'd be pretty tough. I mean, you know, he was a he was a good guy. I mean, you know, I think that you know, despite the fact you know he you know, he did serve time at some point, but you know, you think in America to, to be a black man without a felony in, in America, a black man who hasn't been to jail in America is a it's like an oxymoron pretty much because a lot of people go for you know particular reasons. Some people go for things that <laughs> maybe not the right representation in the legal system. I mean, there's a lot of great space in those areas. So, you know, something that 
somebody else from another race might get two months for, or maybe a slap on the wrist or maybe another chance to do it again. Some people get years for these, these incidents. So there's an inequality in the system that, you know, has always been there. But, you know, as a black man, you know, it's, it's up to us and it's up to other people to support us to make sure we get those systems, you know, on level playing ground. I mean, it's going to take some time. I mean, been fighting for this since before the 60s <laughs> on those slave boats. I mean, it's just some point, things do have to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like you said, uh, Novak, you, the playing field have to, this game have to have the same rules apply to everybody. Right now, we know that uh, rules are different for a certain, certain, certain group of people, black, brown, people of color, who, you know, and that's what people out here doing and stuff and trying, they're trying to raise up against this machine and enforce change. To get it not, it's a different story. We don't, it's, it's a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a war. It's going to be a battle now. Just got to hang in there and, and get through it. We'll, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it. Just for Floyd. Yeah, Jules, I you you're a little bit more optimistic than me, man. I I feel like uh, there's been so many of these situations. I mean, we just talked about Ahmaud Arbery. Now we're we're talking about it again. We have Breonna Taylor. I mean, these situations just keep happening. I just don't know if I'm as optimistic as you are. Um, one thing I will say, I want to go back to what you and Novak were 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 bringing up in regards to to uh, George. Um, one thing that I wanted our listeners to just take. Um, a little bit more of a, um, a snapshot on when it comes to this guy is he's no different than the over 40 million plus people in this country right now that have been affected by this COVID-19. He was let go from his job because of the Minnesota uh, stay-at-home order. So he had that um, security job at the nightclub and they had to let him go because they had no use for him, you know? And so He's no different than anybody else that was out here trying to find their way. Um, and I think that's something that is really important. When you have 40-plus million people out here that are unemployed, and you got a lot of people out here, man, that are struggling. A lot of people are hurt out here right now. And I think that that's just something that I think we need to just realize right now in these times. These are some very uncertain times. And a lot of us, we need to like take a step back. And for the, those of us that are still working and we still have the benefit of being able to provide, then we should consider ourselves lucky because there's a lot of people out there that don't have that same benefit. And uh, George Floyd was one of those people. Um, this guy was you know, out there looking for work. He was working with temp agencies. He was really trying to change his life. Novak, you brought up a great point about the fact that when he moved to, to Minneapolis, he was trying to change you know, and turn a new leaf. You know, he served time in prison. He, he got involved in some mischief when he was in Houston. He had an armed robbery charge. But guess what? People can change, right? And so he was looking for a better way out. You know, you mentioned that he had two daughters. And I really just think that the guy was just trying to find his way in this world. You know, he's trying to provide for his daughters. And his manager over at that nightclub that he worked at said that the guy was really nice. He was not an aggressive guy. He, the biggest thing, the biggest complaint he had about him is he said he couldn't dance. He said he was a terrible dancer, but he liked doing it just to make people laugh. And, <laughs> it's, and I would just say at the end of the day, man, if that's the worst thing that somebody could say about you, I think that you're, you're doing okay in life, you know? 
you know, hey, you know what? George Floyd is like, it, 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 just like anybody else. Like you say, nobody's perfect in this world. I mean, we're human. So he did some things, but he, he's supposed to be reformed rehabil- and be rehabilitated. And that's what, that's what he did. He did his time and served. Okay, I, we ain't going to cruise for him because of that. Everybody done, done dumb stuff. Like I said, he moved from Houston into to Minneapolis to find work. He was known as this general giant. You look at this dude. This dude was a big dude, about 6'6". Six, six. What? 6'6", six, six, about two, 260 maybe? Yeah. He was a big, he was a big cat. I mean, but hey, he, played, he played football in high and school. He played, right. He, played, he, was a, he was a football star in high school. And he, in high school, his, name, his nickname was General, general Giant by his boy uh, Christopher Harris had, had told us this story. And you brought up the part where he worked in that uh, that bistro, that uh, Latin club. You know, he's good friends with the uh, with the manager, and then, and he rented uh, uh, Floyd rented a house from the manager. He'd been working there for five years, but you know, of course, with the COVID, they had to let him go. So rough on everybody, and you know, had to he had to do things to get by. But he's just like everybody. I look at him, and he can be he can be my my brother, or my uncle, or something like that. Just you can tell he wasn't that uh that tight and one of the uh one of the customers from that that spot uh said that he'll get mad if you walk past and don't say anything to him because he want to be loved by you because he loved everybody which a, a character like that that's what in this in this day and age this world need is love love is what conquers everything and and that's a brother that that showed it on, on a daily basis and it's just unfortunate that that uh, that happened to him. I mean, that's I can't can't you, you just can't explain. It's just it's indefensible. Yeah, I mean, you even bring up a good point too about how he was with people. I mean, because you think about it in your everyday life, people walk past each other now, especially now in these times where we all wear a mask and we're all afraid of each other. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. people aren't kind to each other. People don't speak to each other. You know, and it's it's really sad when we come to this type of of society because I remember we were coming up where your neighbors, when we were growing up, our neighbors knew us. They knew our families, like your neighborhood. They, people washed out after each other. It's not like that nowadays, you know? So these are tough, man. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm just agreeing with you, Prez, man. It is, it is rough out here. People are just, even if you wave at somebody, they just look at you. Or turn their head, and it's it's like it's the world. It's crazy because the world is sensitive, but it's 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 angrier now. It's people are just just angry. You just just wow. It's 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 a different world out there. It's a it's sensitive, but it's tough, man. I mean that that anger you talk about. That's the that's the disparity in you know economics. That's the disparity in the job situation. You know, as a you know as a black man, when you you know I live. I live in the city of Chicago, you know, and as a black man, when you come home or something like that, and other black people see you sometimes, either they have to see you or they're looking at you like F him. And it's like that sometimes because one, they think you they think that you think you're better than them, and deep down inside, they don't see the fact that, you know, I'm a black man like you're a black man at the end of the day, but they want to look at you as somebody who's closer to that. <laughs> to that white society, that white part of society, basically, you know what I mean? Where, you know, 
you're above us or you think you're above us. No, I'm like, it's like, I get pulled over like you get pulled over. You know, I go through the same things you went through. I've had, I've had people get murdered as well. I've seen people get murdered, but they don't understand it, you know, sometimes. I think, I think with black people in our communities, there is a, uh, there's a distance between, you know, it's a cultural thing. There's also economic differences between us in this regard. I mean, and a lot of times, you know, if you black and got a job versus black and don't have a job, people seem to treat you differently. Or they say you talk, or you talk educated, you sound smart. And those are the weird things you experience in, in the black community. I mean, it's just that, you know, people, people ain't comfortable in their own skins and people ain't comfortable with who they are and what they need to do to be successful in this world. You know, I oh, grew you up, hit it. you know, you hit it. Yeah. like everybody else grew up, you know, I, we saw things, we lost people. But at the same time, a lot of people from the outside looking in don't see that. And that anger comes into, you must be lucky. And I'm like, nah, I'm not that lucky. I'm fortunate. I'm not hey, now, lucky. Now, see, now, now, Novak, see, now, Novak, let me, let me ask you something because you hit on a good point. I, I, try, to, I try to talk to people that, that have that mindset that there's no, there's no way out. But there is a way because, like you said, all three of us grew up in, grew up in the hood. We're not different, or, or you know what I'm saying, like that. We just maybe chose different paths. Maybe we stayed in school, or maybe we we made some ourselves. We, you know, didn't fall in between, didn't fall in this 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 cycle here, where just because just because that we stay in a certain situation or a certain area, and not have the the best of schools or the best of jobs, whatever. So what we did, we went outside to get it. We didn't have to, you know, we didn't stay in this. I think when, when, you, when you said that, what I want people to realize is that if we can do it, anybody can do it. It's, 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 it's simple, but it's hard. You know what I'm saying? It's hard. You got you to gotta want to make something better and do something better for yourself. They're not going to give it to you. I know, I know that for damn sure. You got to go out there and get it. Oh, you're definitely right about that, Jules. You're definitely right about that. And Novak, I mean, you brought up a tremendous point. This is a point that's often overlooked. And if you guys remember on our last episode, the one we did on the NFL, episode 16, we talked about that coded language. And I think that that's still one of, I think, one of the biggest issues that we have when it comes to some of our racial issues in this country is it's entirely offensive to tell a black man that is educated that he's not black or he's not acting black. What the fuck does that mm -hmm. even mean? Like that's beyond, that's beyond offensive. Well, it's beyond offensive. I mean, it's like as a as a black man or as a black person uh, as a black person in this country, you it's hard sometimes to be who you are at work and who you are at home. And when you get to the point in your life and career, you can be the same person everywhere. I think you I think you pretty much evolved as a man at that point because you shouldn't have to be a different person in different situations. And that's the hardest thing I think most people deal with in this country. I mean, because, you know, the same way we talk is the same way I talk at work. I don't change anything about that situation. It took me years to get to that point, you know, where I was comfortable with my own skin and I felt like I am who I am at this point. And, you know, I'm, and I'm proud of my accomplishments and I'm, pr and I'm proud of my failures. You know, they're, you know, you're going to fail at certain things. It is what it is. I mean, you're not always going to have answers for stuff, but, you're going to make mistakes, but at the same time, you learn from those mistakes. And that's what a lot of people don't evolve mm -hmm. as people. I mean, in this world, 
you know, you make, you're going to make mistakes. People are going to judge you. People are going to have their own opinions and everything. But, you know, as a, as a black man, what you got to learn how to do is rise above that and do bigger and better things. I mean, it's not, you know, you're right, Jules. It's not always going to be, it's not easy. You know, like my seven-year-old sometimes jokes about not being easy. <laughs> and, you know, little kids, it's not seven. easy. Seven. You know, you always go like, yeah, it's not easy, Daddy. I'm like, what? What does that mean? I'm like, you know what's not easy? Getting up in the morning, working hard for somebody, paying all the bills, fighting for self-respect some days, and then basically at the end of the day feeling like you accomplished something. So, you know, the thing is with money sometimes is that all money ain't good money, you know? All mm-hmm. decisions you make in good decisions. And it takes a long time as a man to mature and understand that there's is, more to it than what we do every day. Well, Novak, I'll tell you, we, you and I have had a lot of these conversations, you know, about our uh, specific climbs up the corporate ladder. And I'll tell you, I've walked away from very lucrative jobs just because of that very reason that you, that you brought up. You know, a lot of times that I felt that the culture of these organizations, they lack diversity. I felt like, you know, I'm, I stick out like a sore thumb here. I don't, I look around and I can't relate to any of the people that are around me. You guys don't understand my plight. You don't understand where I come from. And at this point, I'm just a commodity to you. And so a lot of times for me, it was a struggle because I'm going to be me regardless. I mean, you guys know this and some of our listeners that know me, I've been the same guy, man, since I was a kid. I have not changed in a bit. I say what I want. I do what I want. And that has never changed. And, you know, in corporate America, that type of attitude, it'll get you in trouble. And that's why for me, I've been on this slow journey towards being an entrepreneur and being financially independent from a corporate America, but just because I feel as a black man and just as a man in general that I should be able to be who I am, not be judged. And if I do speak up or I have opinions that are different than others, then I'm not labeled as that black guy or that angry black guy, you know, because you guys know how that goes. If as a black man, you stand up for something that you believe in and you might raise your voice slightly people around you, they start, you know, clutching their pearls. They start getting a little uh, uncomfortable around you, you know? Yeah, I feel you, man. I, this, is, this is the world we live in, right? We didn't, we didn't, this is the hands that we dealt. You know, this is the, the good thing about these hands, though, you can always, you know, throw away these and get, pick up more, pick up possibly a, a better hand. So what you what you just said, Prez, you was like, here's 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 your character. This is me. And it doesn't fit this situation because they get certain things that you don't like that don't fit, that don't jive well with you. So you're like, hey, you know what? Let me do something that's more me and stuff and entrepreneurship and stuff like that. And that's excellent because you become your own man, your own boss. And also you be a a symbol and somebody else to look up to and say, hey, you know what? Press can do this, man. I can do it too. Man, I, I commend that, man. All right, and I respect that. And I think that more of our uh, brothers out here, we should definitely be doing that. Um, Novak, I, um, I want to throw this over to you real quick, man. Uh, this situation, you know, just heavy to all of us. Uh, tough situation. But if you could, could you just kind of paint the picture of, to, of the situation that happened with George Floyd on uh, May 25th? Can you just give our audience – just a little bit of a backstory on, on what happened. 
So what happened pretty much on that Monday night, an employee at a Minneapolis grocery store called the police after Floyd allegedly tried to pass a counterfeit $20 bill. Officers um, came to the scene and claimed that Floyd was resisting arrest. Video from the scene contradicts this claim. Minneapolis uh, police officer Derek uh, Shaven uh, took Floyd down and knelt on Floyd's neck for almost seven minutes while he was handcuffed, while he faced down on the road. And, you know, four officers, you know, were at that scene and saw it. And, you know, that really, you know, to sit there and watch somebody lose their life is tough. You know, you had Derek Shaven there, Thomas Lane, you had Two Thile, you had J. Alexander um, Conger, and they were all there. And all four officers got fired after, you know, after George lost his life at that scene. And you can imagine what those people in the crowd were watching when they saw it. You know, sitting there watching somebody, you know, say, I can't breathe. You know, you heard me. And, you know, George is a big dude. When a, when a, when a big person's down like that and they say they're hurting and they can't breathe, they really can't breathe at that point. So, you know, to me, it was sad to watch because when somebody's that big and they're begging for their life, that means they really about to pass, they're about to pass on to the other life at this point. So, I mean, it's a very crazy video to watch. Uh, the situation is something that, you know, nobody should have to endure. And even watching, even watching, you know, younger kids watch that video because it's all it was all over the news. It just it just made things much tougher to deal with as a man personally because, you know, in that situation, you want to you wish he was just strong enough to get up off the ground at that point and you know basically flip the cop down. But at the same time, I think it would have still been a violent end at that point. You know, even him fighting for his life, trying to breathe at that point, I think the odds were stacked against him that day. And, you know, George didn't make it. Yeah, so with that with that video, I know a lot of people see, you see this video, but you actually, let's, let's just talk about what, what happened after that. See, when they was, the person called from the, uh, from the store, convenience store, he pet, you know, Supposedly, allegedly, he passed a, a fake $20 bill to pay for some cigarettes. Well, okay, the police was called. Police were, were reported on the scene. Uh, Floyd was in his car already. So I'm pretty sure the store employee pointed out that, you know, that guy right there did the, you know, pay, tried to pay, pay with a fake $20 bill. You know, I want to press charges. Yes, I want to want him arrested. Because other than that, you wouldn't even have a, you wouldn't even have a, a, a another, a, you wouldn't even have a incident with him. It would be nothing to investigate. Okay. As a, I don't know if people, as a police officer, I've been a police officer for 15 years. I can tell you on this, when they, I, I, and I have done this where you get called on the scene and the complainant had picked, pointed out the, the subject and want to press charges and want, you know, sign complaints. And you have to, you know, pretty much you, there's an investigation. Like, okay, go over there, place him in cuffs. He's under arrest because, you know, the victim want to sign complaints, want him to go to jail. Okay. That's not, that's not what the officers uh, on their own. They have to be a complainant for the officers to put somebody in, in uh, to take somebody to jail. So when they got him out the car, I don't know, 
what was the problem? Because he was able to get out. They was able to put cuffs on him. They was able to walk with him. Uh, now, according to the video, when they was walking across the street to the car, he fell or he just dropped or I don't know what the case may be. But okay, they got him up. And then when they tried to give him the squad card, that's when he dropped in, according to the report, saying that he did not he did not want to get in. In which, you know, at which time other officers was, was you know, came on the scene. Uh, Officer Shaven or wherever, however you pronounce his last name did what he did. Now, the problem I have. Oh, well, Jules. Real oh, go quick. ahead. Who's that? No, don't yeah. gloss over. What, what, what did that officer do? Let's, let's paint the entire picture for our, for our audience. Well, okay. So he's already cuffed. Floyd's already cuffed and he's on the ground. Now, I'm having a little bit of trouble. I'm not understanding how come they just, I know he didn't, if he, if this is what he said, he didn't want to get up. Okay. I get it. It happens. It happens to me all the time, but you know what? We still, we still get this person up and we still get them in the car and we, and we still process them. Now with this one, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little off on why you even need to, to place a knee on the back of his neck. It's, I talked to a lot of officers, a lot of co-workers of mine and other officers, and we all just, we all are not on agree with that. Just to let people know out there, we're not, we do not agree with this. And I know you heard it from other officers that you probably know. It was, it's indefensible. It's, we don't understand this. It's deplorable. We, we do not understand this. He's already cuffed. They taught us in the academy, when a person's cuffed, it's over game over I, whatever shots and stuff if you wanted to get off you couldn't get off because he's cuffed all this all these officers had to do is four of them hell i drag i i i hey we carry people on carry them by everybody grab a foot everybody grab a foot arm a leg or something if he if he not he, if he don't want to get up on his own now putting a knee on the back of this this, this brother neck for nine minutes I, I did not get that. And I didn't get other officers that are just sitting around just looking. One thing I want to tell my, my brothers, uh, and brothers and sisters in blue, please. One of the problems that, that people out here are doing and saying is we need to hold the, the bad officers accountable. And we need to be accountable. And I get that. All of this wouldn't have been happened if somebody would have said, hey, he's good move them off, you know, move that officer off. It, 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 that's all you have to do. And it was in that simple. So I want to tell my brothers and sisters in blue who's listening to Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, listen, man, if you see something that's not right, step in, say something. You're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to be looked at as no rat or no punk. I've done it. If I see something that's going, if I see something that's getting out of line, I'll intervene myself. Okay, listen, I got it. This, this brother don't know how to talk to people. Oh, I got it because he, he's being a little aggressive or he's not paying attention to what the person is saying. And you, and you peep that and you're like, okay, dude just, dude just want a cell phone. And then he'll walk. It's little certain things you can pick up and, and, and do to, to make this, to, to make the job easier. You don't want to make the, the job harder or rougher. Just make it easy. You know, so I, I, I just didn't understand prayers. Nobody, I just did not understand 
the the knee on the neck. It was just it was he didn't he didn't have to do it. He was already cuffed. All you had to do was pick him up and put him in the in the car. I wow. Let me let me ask you, uh, Jules. Um, in your time in law enforcement, um, have you run into situations where there's been re- retail theft that you've been called on, and how do you and your uh, team respond to that if you have had that scenario? Oh, plenty, plenty of times because people steal every damn day. So, um, I mean, you you go to the scene, you talk to the uh, victim, the 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 person who's uh, reporting the offense. Say, hey, that person right there stole such, 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 such. Okay. What do you want? We would like to do. I want them locked up. Okay. You willing to sign complaints to go to court? Yes, I will. All right. Hey. And then at the time we go to that person. Okay. It is what it is. You know what you did. Now, here's the thing. We talking about resisting because they brought up resisting. Now, for the people who don't know who think resisting is fighting, resisting can be just not following verbal command. If you didn't know that, now you know. If an officer give you a, 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 a order and you don't follow it, within that rule of uh, this investigation, you go, let's say you, you go into jail. Okay, sir, turn around, put your hands behind your backs. If you say, what for? No, I ain't doing this and this. Okay, then, then according to the use of force, then we gotta do something else. Nine times out of 10, we don't want to do it. And nine times out of 10, they do want to do it. So it's, it's just easier for you to, to comply. But with this situation, as far as uh, me going and in, in in, 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 in dealing with people who, who broke the law, misdemeanor felony or whatever, all you have to do is just talk to these people. It is what it is. Put your hands behind your back. Okay, we're going to go. We're going to go in the station. It's going to take, take a couple hours. We'll, do, we'll, we'll take care of you. Get you something to eat. You can relax. Take a picture. Get on out of here. So you brought up a really interesting point, um, and this is something that I want to kick over to Novak um, here in a second. But the officer had the knee on, uh, you know, on uh, Floyd's neck for well, I think it was what almost seven or eight minutes. I, I can't even remember. But mm-hmm. the guy was pleading. He was saying, "I can't breathe." I mean, he even cried out for his his mother that passed away years ago. I mean. The thing that made me the most uh, upset about the situation was seeing the cops that were standing there not doing anything. So you mentioned, Jules, that yeah. you, in your situation, you stepped in when you saw situations going sideways. None of these guys did anything to step in. And the officer Chauvin, however the hell you, it don't even matter. You're a fucking piece of shit. Right. Uh, he saw a camera was on him, and the guy was so arrogant that he didn't even care. He kept the knee on that on that guy's neck. And then afterwards, the one officer comes over to check the pulse. And he didn't he didn't feel a pulse. So, Novak, I'm I'm just going to ask you when you saw that video, what was your thought and what kind of went through your head just watching that situation? My thought when I saw that video was like, wow, they just killed this guy. And, you know, you watching it and you can, you know, you can't hear the audio really what he's saying, but you can see the video. And you know, it, it takes you back to almost like the last dance. You know, when Mike was laying on the floor yelling, you know, had that soulless cry. And you think to yourself, like, man, this guy really has been going through it at that point because you know they always say before people transition, you know, they, you know, they hallucinate 
they they call out people they know and you know they pass on at that point you know they lose all bodily control at that point as well so the fact that they you know you when you choke somebody out to the point they you know they lose control like that and start yelling stuff i mean he was transitioning at that point and that's just, and it was tough to watch somebody transition on live, on live video because you're like this is just too much to watch at that point because you know you don't want to see anything like that it's not a good thing and then you know even for all these kids and stuff to watch out there of color to watch even kids not of color to watch, you know, that's some traumatized stuff, you know. To have to explain that to somebody, what you just saw, makes it even tougher because as a parent, and you know, as a parent as well, you have to explain these situations to children. It's like, man, you know, ain't no right, you know, there's a lot of wrong in that video. <laughs> so, you know, and you see it and you just, man, you get angry and you want to you wanna do something about it. You wish you were there. But you being there wouldn't have made a difference. You probably got yourself killed at that point. But I think that, um, no, nah, it's just, maybe just, I just don't want to see more videos like that personally. I don't want to hear about anything else like that anymore. It's just yeah. at that point in life where it's got to get better, you know, at some point because, you know, the next person this happens to, I think what you're seeing right now is the, is to break down society and to break down families in general and what we what we deem as being normal at this point. But I think that um, you know, just just no more videos like this. That's that's the main thing. I love watching this video. I was sad. No, I don't want to see this anymore. So it's a it's an ongoing no. cycle at this point. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I, I'm tired of seeing. Right. Uh, I'm tired of seeing our brothers and sisters being gunned down. I'm I'm really really tired of this. Um, I know this happens uh, with you know, with white people as well. But, but, you know, as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, it's predominantly happened to us. Uh, white Americans, they outnumber uh, the African-American community. And th these cases with us, they happen way more often than they should. A lot of times these situations are just random traffic stops or raids that are being done on incorrect homes. Um, a lot of times these... Uh, these situations where we're being killed and we're unarmed, they're not happening when the police is actually doing police work where they're investigating a crime or a murder. They're happening because uh, Johnny Schmo is getting pulled over for a petty violation or somebody allegedly passed off a $20 bill to buy some loose squares or whatever the hell he was doing. All I know is it, it didn't, it, did, it shouldn't have come to the situation where this brother is now gone even if he did pass over a counterfeit bill, even if he didn't, no, it shouldn't. you know, even in your words, uh, Jules, even if he didn't totally comply, that's where the training comes in. You even mentioned that with, with the way you are, when you're apprehending people, you figure out a way to get that guy in that squad car. You know, mm -hmm. wh wh mm -hmm. why is, how did this guy end up on the ground where you guys couldn't get him off the ground and your only solution was to put a knee on the back of somebody's neck? Where's hey, the listen? Where's the now, empathy? Now, here, go ahead. No, see, I'm sorry to cut you off, Prez. I'm sorry to cut you off, but you hitting on something. I, I, to my opinion, it wasn't this is not a police matter. It was a matter of this dude just didn't didn't have a heart. He didn't care. He didn't have no respect for his for himself. He didn't have respect for his, his job, his family, because his wife lived leaving him. He didn't think of her. He didn't have respect for, for George Floyd. 
Now this brother, now it's 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 evident that they both worked at the same spot. Now I don't know if there was something more to this story. I don't know if George Floyd, you know, you know, did something to his old lady. I I don't know. But you mean to tell me, cause cause old boy officer Shavin, 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 whatever you call him, he he did security for the for the uh that uh Latin spot. And Floyd did security there. So you mean to tell me they ain't know each other? Of course they know each other. Floyd sticks out. So yeah. there could be something else. I'm just pulling back the curtain on this. There might be some more to this story that we, that we we don't know. Well, Jules, I'm gonna ask you another question, man. Uh, what's up with those other officers, man? What, what what should happen to those guys? I mean, they those other three officers they stood by and they allowed that to happen. So I do agree with you. Okay, when it came to Chauvin, you know what? The guy had no regard for for uh, you know for Floyd's life. Mm-hmm. I, I could get you there, but these other officers. Mm-hmm. I have no excuse for them. Those, those guys, in my opinion, they didn't deserve to wear the badge, and I'm glad that they took the badge from them. But what should happen to those guys? Well, it all depends. I, um, man, I'm sorry, I forgot my brother, the brother name that's doing the uh, leading the um, case now. Uh, the brother, uh, but he's he's leading now, and I believe charges will be coming against uh, coming with these other officers for. And it, see, preservation of life takes over everything. Every everything, everybody. Preservation of life is is essential. It's important. It's number one rule. And they didn't provide that to to Floyd. They allowed their their brother to to put a knee on his neck to he killed. Him. So they get held uh, reliable. Uh, they get held liable. So I'm pretty sure charges gonna come across. I don't know what charge. Probably uh. There's official misconduct or aiding, and uh, so it's up to the prosecutor on that. But I'm pretty sure that they're gonna. I just want people listen. Let's let's play this out. Let's play this out. Let's let's give this let's give the uh this this prosecutor this attorney here to to do his job and do it fair because we don't want to rush anything and we let's we want this right. So. Let's give them a chance. Let's let's have faith in them and stuff. And and I'm pretty sure they they all going to be placed in um they all going to be charged. Well, I I really hope so. And um, in our last episode, this is why I was really gung ho and why I personally uh, respected Colin Kaepernick for taking his stance and taking a knee, because this is the very thing that Colin Kaepernick was basically trying to bring awareness to. It was the police brutality, the excessive force, the inequality of African-Americans in this country. And so many people had an issue with him taking that knee. Oh, my God, he took a knee during the national anthem. They were so upset about a flag. But meanwhile, our lives are being taken for granted every day. And now people all are now up in arms about this. Where were you guys at when the other hundreds of African-Americans have been killed dating back to 2016? Where was the uproar then? This stuff has not just magically started happening now. This stuff has been going on for generations. So why is everybody now all of a sudden, like this one, this situation is different? I think there's two things going on in this country right now. I think I think one of the, I think one of the big things is we just came off of COVID, right? So I think a lot of people have been locked up. They've been, you know, they've been in their homes. They're angry about the fact that Life as we know as Americans has totally changed. Uh, a lot of people lost their jobs, you know, due to this situation. 
uh, you know, money scares, stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, these, you know, these murders that have happened, you know, the last, you know, three, three months, of these three, two to three months have been traumatic, more traumatic because everybody, everybody is way, way very emotional right now. I mean, the situation is already tough to deal with. But when you throw all the uncertainty on top of two people losing their two, you know, two black men losing their lives right now, it makes things a whole lot worse. Because you know, COVID has been reminded everybody that you know we're not, you know, we're not immortal. You know that this thing should come kill you and you're dead at this point. And then these people lost their lives basically pretty much in the middle of um, you know misconduct from other people. You know, I, I agree with Jules pretty much. I mean, it's bigger than law enforcement. You kill somebody. You know, I think it's, it's, it's a matter of just being a bad human, just being a bad person at that point. You know, it could have been a, that could have been like black on black crime. You know, black people kill each other every day in this country. White people kill each other every day in this country. But I think the problem is, is that when the people that are supposed to protect you kill you, it creates a, it creates a really weird presence out there. You know, I do think that, you know, we hold them to a higher standard opposed to a person who's a natural born killer at this point in, this, in our society. But I think that, you know, the things going on in this country, the, the tension and the pain we went through, you know, the first six months this year escalated with this situation and just turned into a ball of fire and rage. And I think also you got to look at the fact that African-Americans have felt like, you know, haven't been served as well for years. And I think you know, this is just a combination of things. You know, we were just talking the other day that you think about what's happened to, since the 60s to now, we feel as black men, we, black men and black people, we have not come that far. You know, I feel like other races have come a lot further than we have, you know, in shorter times. You know, different races, different groups have come a lot further than black people in this country. And I think that neglect and that feeling of, of being outside your own country has um, has escalated into this rage. And I think, you know, COVID added to it. And I think, you know, we're just at a, a dark level right now. And I think that the thing is, besides us out there marching and, you know, fighting for our rights right now, we also got to look at the mental health side of the situation. That trauma that played over and over on TV is leaving some really big scars. Besides us, besides some people, you know, out there looting and tearing up things, that's a much bigger picture going on that we need to address. You know, we need to deal with, are we okay? You know, as mentally, are we okay? Are we able to move on, even at the situation being prosecuted in the court of law? Because no matter how they rule in this situation, that's still going to be some, that's still going to be some mental pain. There's still going to be some scars that you add to the, you know, the, the, you know, the, you, know you add to our bodies mentally and physically, because we're still dealing with things we never recovered from, you know, hundreds of years ago. So that trauma is huge right now, and I I really do think this situation just pulled the, the you know pulled the bandaid off and exposed the gunshot wound at this point. So you know we got to figure it out in order to get better in this situation or even move forward. I mean, no more talking about it. You got to do something about it. No, I agree with that 100%. Novak, uh, talk is cheap. I mean, at this point, uh, we can't do any more lip service to these situations. We all have a responsibility to stand up, to rise up and to come up with real solutions. I mean, we need real answers to, to this problem that's been going on for years. You bring up a really excellent point about the trauma. I mean, you think about the way each of us grew up. We grew up in the inner city. Think about the trauma that was associated to the things that we saw and witnessed as kids that 
a lot of our counterparts when we went to high school didn't have to experience those things. They were commonplace to us. One of the things that I'll tell you is when I was going to high school, my mother and my grandmother gave me speeches reminding me that the, the things that the white kids can do at that school, your ass can't do because you're going to get in trouble for it. They also had to have that talk with me about working with the police, meaning understanding how I needed to behave to keep from things happening to myself. And that is a, a conversation that a lot of parents, especially African-American parents, have to have with their children at ages that they should not have to be having those type of conversations. These children should be allowed to be kids. They should be allowed to live their lives and be happy. But these kids are forced to have to grow up way sooner than they should because they have to prepare themselves for the mental warfare and the trauma that they're going to have to be dealing with for the rest of their lives. So you bring up an amazing point there, uh, Novak, and I just wanted to, you know, thank you for bringing that part up. Question for you, uh, Jules. How was the officer uh, Chauvin, how was he fired but not arrested the same day? Can you, can you explain to our audience uh, what went into that in your opinion? Yeah, this dude must be. This dude must have some juice. I I, I don't know what else. If that was me, they would have locked my ass up. Now, see, the problem is we and we talked about with the Ahmad Arbery case that people are educating themselves on this. You can't just say one thing and and and, and people see what happened and tell them, well, we need to investigate. Wait a minute. Wait a minute especially black people. You can't just tell them, okay, dude cuff. He got his knee on the neck. The man died. What, what, what kind of threat was he doing? Did he have a damn knife? Did he have a damn knife in his mouth? Or could he, did he have like, like some shoes that could shoot bullets? Other than that, uh, uh, deadly force is not justified. So people are, are mature, you know, getting um educating himself mature on this type of situation armand arbery it shouldn't have to take uh it shouldn't have to take a a, a, a protest and a ride and stuff like that to to get to, to get these officer to get that uh i'm sorry ex-officer um uh brought up on charges just the same like this one it shouldn't have to take four days now i give i give kudos to 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 them firing them the next day okay cool we got a good start good but when if you need that day or two days to to look at the the um the evidence, the tape or whatever, you got this forty eight hour rule. I know in Chicago it's forty eight hours you can hold somebody to when while you're doing your investigation. You could have did the same here. I'm pretty sure you looked at that body camera, the 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 bosses, the supervisors looked at that body camera and saw, oh yeah, we got a problem. Now we need to now we need to address it. See the the problem is what people are talking about is we need to hold these officers accountable if they do b bad things. Now I understand if you're trying to do your job, something happened and somebody got seriously hurt or lose their life while you you trying to trying to do something. I mean, let's be honest. We're out there. We have to make split second decisions. And some of these situations we go into, it's either you know you trying to get home, you trying to get home safe. And some of these situations we go go to are stuff that you know you you see in the movies. So it's like, and then not even because it's some stuff out here. I got some stories for you, but um, so we got to rely on training and this and that to do our job effectively. Now, for them not charging them 
right then and there. Only thing I can think of, that boy must be juice, or they playing on the ignorance, ignorance on these people, playing that these people are dumb and don't know what they're talking about. For now on, for now on, I need, I need you guys to hear me. If an officer do something that you know it's wrong, you got to take action right then and there in order to gain the, the public's trust because they feel that they feel that we can go out, the police can go out and, and kill black, brown, white, whoever, and not be held accountable. Now, I want people to know this now. Majority, 95% of the law enforcement are good, 95%. Now, the only thing I have a problem with this, we have over 18,000 law enforcement agencies, local, state, federal, 18,000. Now, you get, the, you get the handfuls that coming in and saying, this is what's going on. I have a little problem with that because it's you, you're manipulating the, the 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 public. You're swaying the public like law enforcement is the bad guys because now you get people out there. They say they thinking law all law enforcement are bad. I want to be clear. Ninety five percent of law enforcement officer they do their job and they do their job well and they just want to go home. You do have some racist, some bigot, or some some officers out there that's just no good. So back to the question on why it happened. Either the boy got juice, he's a son of a governor or a son of an alderman, who knows? And they, or they just didn't think that it wasn't going to go anywhere, that they played that, that the public just don't understand this stuff and we can sweep this on the rug. But no, nah, it blew up. Not only it blew up in their face, it blew up, it blew up the whole goddamn country. But, you know, so that, if that, if you ask my opinion, that's my opinion. That's my opinion. I think that why they didn't charge him right then and there. And you know what, uh, and, and thank you for that. But uh, my thing is, when I think about this cop, he's had, uh, at least in the last, I think it was what they said, the last three to five years, he had four to five other uh, situations where he's been charged for either using excessive force or he's been in, like, police-involved, you know, shooting situations, uh, whether he did it directly or indirectly. So he's had a lot mm -hmm. of complaints leveled against him, this, uh, this officer. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's problematic to me when I, when I think about that, because if you have a guy that has that type of, uh, background, you know, within your department, and then he does something like this, this shouldn't be a surprise to the rank and file because he showed you the type of person that he is. And he should have been dealt with a long time ago. Exactly. Right. So when you bring up a great point, I don't want to paint a broad brush and say that all cops are the problem, but I'm also not going to sit here and let you guys off the hook either. Because there is uh, problems within your, within your departments. And in this department in particular, uh, in Minnesota, they haven't gone through the police reform that a city of Chicago does, has gone through. Uh, I think you were speaking to this earlier. You've witnessed firsthand some of the, the, the transformation that the Chicago PD has gone through after the Laquan McDonald situation. I don't know if you want to briefly touch on that with the audience, but this department in Minnesota, they didn't have that. And you know what's going to happen? They are going to get it. Because with like Chicago, after the Laquan McDonald shooting, um, Chicago, it had the, invest, uh, the, the Department of Justice come in and, and investigate the, the department. They came back, repracticed re racial tactics or something like that. Okay, all right. So there's a consent decree. A consent decree, pretty much you, you pretty much, you, 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 they want you, there's guidelines and situations on what 
we should and, and, and we should do to be more professional. They want you to be more professional is what they're telling us. More training on implicit bias training or de-escalating training. They're big on de-escalating the situation, which is good. Which is good because some situations, a lot of half of these situations out here can be de-escalated by by your word of mouth. Just by, like I said, your communication, your mouthpiece, that gift of gab, where my pimp's at. Man, you have a good mouthpiece, dude, you can get anything. So so that's what happened. We got more training on de-escalating and also implicit bias training and procedural justice training. There's there's things where, hell, now now that you legalize uh marijuana and people can carry guns. So that's a couple things that, you know, we used to pop people off a lot of if you have your credentials. Now don't know just be out there just all reckless now. But if you have your credentials, you can carry that gun and you can you can get you some weed and stuff. And um uh there's things where if we come across anybody on the street and stuff, there's reports we have to fill out and there's a independent civilian board that look at that and monitor what we doing and stuff like that. Body cameras, we, we end up getting body cameras now. So it's a lot of, it was a lot of changes after uh, Laquan McDonald. Um, and, 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 change, and change is good. It's just, you know, you, you roll with the punches. Department, we roll with the punches, okay. At first, I wasn't too thrilled with the body cameras because I'm like, man, you know, have to, have to have somebody watch you, you know, watch your every move and this and that is like, man, I'm not no problem problem officer. I don't need this. But you know what? I love them body cameras. I love them body cameras because let's just be honest. There are some people out there that let's just say they, you know, let's just say they lie and they do things and 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 you probably won't believe, but you see this body camera, you're like, oh shit, yeah, 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 this dude, this dude was a wild boy. So so that body that body camera is just is good for both for both you know so you get to see what happened in that situation and b you can't have uh uh this this person back yeah, this person say anything that you did some wrong or or you abuse of power or anything like that so it, it works both ways but back to the question is man there is a lot of changes and I'm pretty sure I pretty you know people out there in Chicago have seen it well. I'll, I'll say this, and I don't know how you feel about it, Novak. Um, I've had a questionable history with the uh, CPD. Um, luckily for me, I haven't had any interaction with them much, you know, in the last, I would say, 10 years or so. But growing up, it was a very problematic relationship. And I had a, a major distrust for law enforcement. And I even, you know, told you, uh, Jules, when you got into law enforcement back in the day, that I kind of looked at you like, you sure you want to do this, man? Like, you know, because it was one of those things where I'm like, Man, you about to be the popo. What's what's up, man? But the thing was, as I knew where your heart was, and I knew the type of cat that you are, and I'm glad that you're out there because you are that five percent that I feel confident that's basically gonna speak up uh, when stuff is going on. Novak, what do you feel about you know some of that transformation that, that Jules was talking about? I mean, the transformation is definitely there. I mean, it's it's more empathetic than what it was, you know. I grew up, you know, we grew up in the, you know, 80s, 90s, where <laughs> you got stopped walking home from school and you got your backpack tossed in the middle of the street and you got it empty and they, you got to sit on the curve. And then they got done dealing with you. They dropped you off in the bad neighborhood. 
And that's just the way things went down back then. And, you know, I had that happen. You know, you get dropped yeah. off in the wrong neighborhood. And then they know everybody over there don't like you. And then you got to basically try to get small, <laughs> get little, as they say, and try to get out that neighbor at that block before you end up getting losing your life. I mean, that's just the way we grew up. We grew up getting yelled at, cussed out, told that, you know, you know, told that I'm going to take you in, and, you know, and if, you know, if they lie on you or blah, 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 or so-and-so said you did this, I mean, or, you know, it's just a lot, it's just, it was, it's a hard, it was a hard road, you know, to where we at today, because as a, uh, as a black man, when you get to 21, it's, it's goddamn miracle. You get to, you get to 30, you look around and notice a lot of people ain't make it to 30. You get older than that and you go, oh my God, I got this far. And at this far in life, you know, I haven't been, I haven't been killed yet. I, you know, I ain't been incarcerated. You know, <laughs> I've been stopped. I had everything else happen to me in that regard. I've been told that, you know, I've been told different things. But, you know, to get to that point in life where, you know, your freedom ain't been taken, you know, your, your way of life hasn't been altered, you know, by, you know, law enforcement or just making bad decisions. I mean, it's a blessing. I mean, every day you wake up, you know, you think in terms of, oh, man, I'm so lucky to be here at this point. But I think that the trust with CPD and the trust with police in general, it's, it's hard because, you know, I, you know, like when, when Jules, when you say you want to be a cop, I kind of look like, oh, wow, this is going to be interesting. But at the same time, you know, knowing that you're out there helps me sleep better at night because everybody don't, everybody on the force doesn't see the way you see you know, civilians and the way you see people and how to deal with people. You know, a lot of people, you know, they, they, they joined the force because they were, you know, they were getting bullied as children. They got a gun and a badge and they started bullying people professionally. <laughs> That's just what they do. I mean, not every cop's a bad cop, but at the same time, I got nothing but respect for y'all and every guy. That's the toughest job in America. To have to go out there and think of a split second between having to take somebody's life and save somebody's life, mm. or even save your own life, mm, those yeah. are things that you know you can't teach that in the academy. No, no, that's no, where you can't. You, no, you're right. That, that's where, like, you know, I look at those situations, even Laquan's situation. I know that was wrong, but a lot of times you think about the influence of drugs, the influence of certain things in certain people's systems. You go from being six foot six two forty to being six foot six three hundred pounds of muscle, and you 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 charge up on PCP or something. You know, I've seen people on drugs do stuff that's superhuman. I've seen guys jump over cars. You know why they were moving, brother? Right. And, you know, and you know. Go ahead, Jules. <laughs> to, to to hey man, brother. To deal with a personal PC. Oh my goodness, they like you said, they got superhuman strength. And people sit up there. See, sometimes you, you you have to. I think that's why a lot of times that's why police officers get graded on the higher curve because of the situation and and sometimes the people we deal with. That's why we get a little leeway because there are real people out here who do real stuff out here. I mean, I don't want to go into all that. You know, we you know we we get through going through enough, but it's some. Some things like we have to encounter and we have to handle because we're the police. We enforce the law. That's what we do. And I tell people, just take a look at just look at it from a, a drug a dope dealer uh, standpoint. You want this corner, but
But if somebody else move in on your corner, what do you do? You sit there and force them to move them out. Same, same thing, but just a little different situation. That's all. We enforce. If somebody doing something, the police is there to, to enforce the law. Now, if they don't want to move, then we have to move them. And it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty all the time. It's not going to be pretty all the time. I mean, you're going to see officers doing some things where they're tasing or hit them, side, or hit them with the baton or spray or even have to use deadly force. And people outside looking and looking at this, this video, if some, somebody happened to catch a video, but happened to catch the end of the video, and like, oh, that's wrong, but then get the, the beginning, then here's your perception. It becomes this reality that, oh, oh officers are abusive powers or they, uh, or they just... Uh, they killed that person for no reason and this and that. Uh, so it's when you said that you had to make these split second decisions, man, you're right on. And, and that's why officers are, are, are graded on a different level with that because of the situations when uh, we go through. That's why it's so important when I tell people, please, it's easier just, just to comply. It's easier. We can handle out the stop. It was it justifiable or not like that later on. But right then and there, you don't want to escalate the situation because you don't know what type of officer you're dealing with. You don't. You don't want. You don't want to play. You don't want to put that that your life in that officer's hands. That's what I'm trying to tell people. But you know what, Jules? Well, I think that's part of the problem. I think where it comes back to me with the training. You brought up earlier some of the de-escalation uh, tactics that you know that you that you utilize. However. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something when we're looking at police reform, that that needs to be rolled out to some of these various departments, especially these departments that continue to have these issue, these situations. Now, Minnesota's had a, another one, you know, they had Philando Castile, you know, uh, back in 2016, you know, he had a traffic stop. He was a gun owner, legal gun owner. Right. So you have a lot of these people that, you know, they protest about their rights to carry. However, where were those individuals when this man was gunned down? And he handled that traffic stop to perfection. He did everything that was required of him, and he was still gunned down. So while I do agree with you that, you know, you have to comply, but we are still seeing situations where people are complying, and they're still ending up dead. Well, well, well the, thing, the thing I say about that is, you know, you also – got to look at it. I'm going to pay devil's advocate right now. So I'm at, you know, I get stopped somewhere. So like say I get stopped in the city versus getting stopped in the burbs. Sometimes what happens is when you get stopped by a police officer, you know, there are people like everybody else. And I say what I do notice is that if they, you know, if they had a bad day or something like that, because they're only human, or we don't know what we don't know what evil he saw he evil he or she saw on the street that day. That you might get a different response. It's just like it's just like you, it's just like being in corporate America, and your boss just chewed you out of missing a deadline, and you go back and you tell your staff, you know, you're pissed with them. It's the same thing, and I think a lot of times that you know the wear and tear, the, the psychological wear and tear that these officers experience on the, on the streets of Chicago, New York, LA is traumatic. You know, I think that, you know, for, you know, Jules to be in the game for 15 years and still be sane is awesome. Because I saw a lot of cops when I was growing up that did that 20, 25, you know, in, in the game of CPD. And they different people. You know, it's like, it's like going to war. You know, they're almost like, it's like talking to somebody's dead time in Iraq or somewhere. Because, you know, 
you think so much quicker than the average person because you're thinking in terms of hypotheticals and situations. You talk to a cop in situations. What if this happened? What if that happened? You know, everything is plotted out. When you talk to the average person, a lot of average people think, you know, they think they do without thinking. Officer has to do it off instinct sometimes, you know, and I think, I think when you get pulled over some places, instinct could work against you or it could work for you in some situations or some cops just have a really good feeling for what's going on out there. They got, they, they have better people skills. Now, if your people skills mm. suck and your instinct sucks and you pull over somebody and it's the wrong time of night or you just had a rough ass day, something might happen. So, you know, us as, us as people, I learned that I try to read them when I get pulled over for something and try to figure out, can I joke with this one? No. Is this one, is this one different, you know, than the other one? You pick that up real quick. Cause I remember I got, I got a ticket a couple years ago in Indiana. I was doing 112 in an eight. Now that's all me. I was God, hurting. Damn, I, man, where you I, going? Man, I was, I was trying to get to Notre Dame, man. You know, because I got that ticket. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, I was trying to get out there, man. You know, I tried well, to get to South Bend. I had a situation out there. I got that ticket. Officer pulled up. What? Was, what? Well, I'll ask your question in a Who was you driving? Man, I was driving. You driving a Corvette? No, man. No, I was driving. driving an SUV. I was driving an SUV. I was pushing it. And, you know, I think you're going to get the, the charger in front of me that was doing like 130. I slowed down. He said, I got to get you. And I was like, oh, come on, man. The Charger was on 130. I was following him. So, so he pulled me over. You know, he, you know, he, you know, he took my ID. He had them, he had them uh, sunglasses. I couldn't see his eyes. He had them, he had them Ray-Bans on. Couldn't see his eyes. He, talk, he said, let me take this. I'll be right back. And I'm like, I'm going to jail. <laughs> I was just like, I was having a moment. Like, I'm going to jail today. I'm out here. I didn't broke the law. So I'm sitting there. He came back and he goes, I tell you what, I'm gonna give you a ticket, but I ain't taking you to jail. He's like, obviously you work. I see you trying to go somewhere. Who'd you vote for? I was like, what? He goes, you care if I answer that question? I started laughing. I was just like, okay, man, I'm not going there. He, you know, Trump had just got elected, so he wanted to see who I voted for. And I looked at him like, you know, I just looked at him, rolled my eyes. <laughs> he gave me back my ID, and he was like. Uh, yeah, you know, you be safe, man. I tell you what, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna let you ride behind me to where you gotta go. I'm gonna let you speed since you're not, you're gonna pay for this ticket. You already paid for the right to, to race to Indiana, race to South Bend. I'm gonna let you race behind me. So he let me do a hundred something following him all the way to South Bend. <laughs> so, so I got there, you know, he you know waved off and everything like that. And you know, that situation, if I if I dealt with it differently, if I said fuck you and blah blah blah, and give me back, I ain't got no ID and f you, and just say I didn't have insurance. I had no driver's license. If I didn't have, and I had a gun on me that day, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a permit, you know, I have, I have my concealed carry, I have everything, I had a gun on me. So I'm like, oh my God, if I didn't have that stuff and I'm riding around, you know, not licensed properly, either I'm going to jail Ooh. or I'm going to get killed that day. Because, you know, you never know because that guy got to go home and see his family. You know, you I'm know sitting, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I was going to say real quick, Novak, I I, yeah, I remember that day uh, that, very particular with you trying to get out there to the game. And, and I remember the story that you told. And you're right. I mean, all of us here on this on this us host, we got common sense. That's that's not the issue here. Mm -hmm. I think the issue here, though, is for our listeners and maybe people that our listeners know that don't have that privilege of being able to not only get off in a situation like that, 
But think about some of our listeners that are Caucasian, that they don't have to manipulate a situation in order to get off on a ticket. They don't have to try to figure out what the communication style may be with this cop to get favor with them so that way it can work in your advantage. I've been with Caucasian people when they've gotten pulled over and they're to the officer, why the fuck are you pulling me over? I wasn't doing shit. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I love them. I love them. They, they turn up. And they're not getting their heads blown off. So that's the only thing that I just push back on you. I think when it comes to this situation, you're right. People, citizens, they have to learn how to handle themselves with class and, and respect and all that other stuff. But I think that that relationship between cops and the, the people and the citizens, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to rebuild that relationship. Because that relationship right now is the worst yeah. that I've seen it. Well, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Because, it's ter- go ahead, go ahead, you know, oh, go ahead, Nobet. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, Nobet, go ahead. Because I'm going I'm to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. But at the same time, you know, it's repairable. I think that what has to happen, basically, is that, you know, as now I'm, I'm going to say one thing. Now, the thing about the thing about law enforcement and the thing about those relationships is we as black people got a lot of relatives out there doing a lot of crazy stuff. We know these relatives are out there living, you know, living crazy, doing things, breaking the law. And we don't say nothing about it, right? So, you know, go back to that don't stitch print, that don't snitch principle, right? So the thing about it is, you know, it's a it's a double-edged sword. I mean, we protect those who we want to protect. And then when someone harming someone innocent gets killed, we're up in arms about it. But at the same time, you know, we you know, we as black people do need to do a better job holding our own family members accountable in these situations. Because you know, you're right, you're right about that. Uh, in that situation you know we got common sense but when you're talking to somebody who barely got out of high school somebody got issues communicating you know these family members you can barely talk to and they speak in english some form of english i don't know what it is and you get them out there you pull them over and his first instinct is fuck him fuck this fuck that it escalates pretty quickly you know what i mean and that's the that's the big issue. That's what we have to learn how to we, we have to learn how to get beyond that situation as as black people because when we put ourselves in these situations or we in these neighborhoods and you know we, we shouldn't have to be different, but at the same time, there's no difference between me and that person who just did 20 when we get pulled over on the street sometimes. They don't know that. So when they pull you over sometimes, they gotta figure out the same read I'm doing that cop, he gotta figure out. If this dude want to take my life tonight, I want to see my family tonight. And, you know, and that's why the dudes out there you pull over. I've seen guys tell the cops straight up, you know, the same thing that white privilege we're talking about. White people say "fuck you" and you can't pull me over. I've seen brothers decide the same abilities, but you're right; they don't get away with it. Some do. Some I've seen people tell "fuck the police" and get in their car and drive away. Brothers, you know, if every brother gets away with it. You know, there's two or three that lose their lives over it. You're in that situation. It's, it's, a, it's unfortunate. It's messed up. But we do need to learn how to talk to each other. That's the first damn problem in this world. I mean, because, you know, if, if you if you cuss me out and he cuss him out, somebody's going to lose their life. And that's what's going on in this country too damn much. You know, it's, it's too much anger right now. Oh, you're like right. I say, oh you're I'm right. sorry, Chris. I, I got nothing. I was just agreeing with... Uh, with no oh. now, the, only, the, the one thing I'm going to let you guys know I know you guys, 
I know you guys have been to court, traffic court. Now, no, no. in traffic no. court, too <laughs> many times. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Y'all, y'all sound a little quiet over there now. Okay, so I would say, hey, when I go to traffic court, don't even don't even answer. When I go to traffic court, it's a lot of demographics in that traffic court now. It be whites, it be blacks, it be Asians. It's all it, they all over. Now, it, it all depends where you where as far as policing where you patrolling at. Now, if I patrol in heavy black uh, di- uh, di- uh, area, then nine times out of ten the tickets gonna be black. Same thing as Hispanic, same thing as whites. Let you know. White people do get tickets, and they do they do have to go to court and stuff. True. Now, the only thing I would say that officers do tend to, some officers, some, some officers do tend to give a little leeway to their, their counterpart, you know what I'm saying, to their, to their, uh, 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 the people they're pulling over, if it's Caucasian or whatever, or Asian or something like that. They do give a little leeway now. They don't go in like if it's, if it's, a, if it's a brother or, 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 or Latin. Now you do see that you do see the the difference in in between. So that's that's one thing people out here are are want to talk and discuss and say, hey, listen, if you treat us like that, then you should treat everybody like that. Which I can raise my hand and say, hey, if you if I stop you, white, black, Hispanic, green, Martian, or whatever the case may be, and you coming out talking about you mfing me, oh yeah, 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 I'm I'm, I'm gonna do my job. I'm just tell you that. <laughs> that, and that's and see i don't see the thing is i don't i listen i don't discriminate man. crime doesn't have to me crime doesn't have no color no 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 gender it's either you did something wrong or you didn't you broke the law you did that's the only reason why i'm here no, I, I and that hear- goes for a lot of officers in that way but mm-hmm. now i'll tell you this now there are officers hell i i, I i've done it myself where I give a lot of breaks to you know, to my people. So it 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 just depends on if you want to be looked out by another officer in a different race. It's 50-50, You have a fifty-fifty shot. I, hey, Jules, I'll tell you one thing. I've had worse success with with, with, with brothers when I've gotten pulled over. Mm-hmm. I was about to say that, Prez. I was about to say that. Hey, <laughs> hey man, we can go on. We can go on. We don't have to say nothing else. <laughs> You you already know where I'm going. We sometimes we are our biggest hater. You know that's part of the problem. But right? uh, it's really bad. You get in those small towns. You get in a small town, and there's only two black people in the town. It's me and the cop, <laughs> and they get you, and you be looking like, "Come on, man!" You look at you like, "No, no." I mean, I I remember uh, I was uh, where were we at? We're, we're up in Wisconsin, and Wisconsin is one of those places where, you know. As some, you know, some of our listeners might know, we're driven to Wisconsin. They have those station wagon police cars up there, and they they bright colors. They're like neons and oranges and stuff like that. And they pull off the side of two ninety four, and when they pull out on you, they I had a we uh one of I wasn't driving that day. I wasn't speeding that day, Jules. What happened is one of my guys in the car was driving, and he was speeding, and he was talking on the cell phone, and they pulled him over, and he basically rolled down the window and said, "What?" That cop said, "Don't you what me?" <laughs> So I was just like, you know, I'm not going to say that word today. Don't you what me? And uh, and he was just like, what you mean? He's like, you know what I mean. And he, he said, basically, give me your license. So my guy basically passed my license. You know, he took it. He pretty much, uh, you know, ran, you know, ran and came back, gave him that ticket. 
And my guy looked at him and said, yo, give me a ticket. He said, sure as hell is, I'm going to give you a ticket. You have a good day, dude. <laughs> and, and, and walked away. We were like, wow. He went from uh, Officer uh, he went from officer Ruckus to goddamn Jada Kiss. He gave him that ticket. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> he said Jada Kiss. He pepped away, away from that car. So he was so happy. He, like, he pepped away from the car. And I looked at him like, did you see how he just, he, you see his swag? He, the way he got back in the car and rolled away. <laughs> He drove by us. He drove by us. And gave us gave us deuces. I was like, wow. I was <laughs> just like, wow. And my guy had to come back and go to court for that oh, in Wisconsin. He went to court and he said he was the only brother in Racine <laughs> getting to, getting in court that day. Mm-hmm. He got charged for court time. He said it was like crystal meth addicts and, and crackheads up there. He said they were all white. <laughs> he didn't know what to expect. He was like, wow, I'm the only brother. And they were like, what you do, drug dealer? He's like, no, I got a ticket for speeding. <laughs> But yo, it is weird though. Small town America, totally different beast. No, uh, you're definitely right about yeah, that. So, right. so Novak, uh, so real quick, man, I want I want to get back to uh, to our topic at hand here. So, when we look at that officer, uh, was it Chauvin or whatnot? He, um, I noticed that he got a, a third degree murder charge against him and a second degree manslaughter charge. Can you explain to our audience a little bit more in detail about what those charges mean? Well, the third degree, that third degree murder charge is uh, it's interesting. That's only in three states in America, pretty much, to have third degree murder charges. You know, it's Minnesota, uh, the other st- the other two states that have a, have the third degree uh, murder charge. I want to say New Mexico and Pennsylvania, and I think Florida. Also, I think Florida might have it as well. Uh, Florida's weird. Florida's laws are hard to interpret. You know, you could you could write a book about what Florida should be doing at this point, <laughs> and so. And so what that law pretty much says, like, you know, it basically is, is you know, it's defined as depraved heart murder. It's like without intent to affect the death of any person or causing the death of another person, perpetuating an uh, act of imminent dangerous, uh, danger to other people. So basically it's saying that he killed, this, he, you know, he killed George and he basically did it with malice at this point. And that third degree is like a downgrade of the first degree murder charge because they're trying to say he did it but he did it basically, you know, in a way that wasn't blatantly murder. You know, it's like it's a lesser case of murder. And I know the max on that is like the max on that situation, I believe, is is um is 25 years in Minnesota. So the reason the reason he got that third degree charge basically pretty much is that um one, I think because he is law enforcement and it kind of was like a he knew like Jules said he knew somebody to get that charge downgraded to that the third degree. Third degree gives him a better chance of getting less time in that situation. And I think that, you know, you know, he probably got like a little bit of a, you know, being law enforcement pass right now. But at the same time, you know, I do think that third degree was very generous in that situation, you know, for what happened in that regard. But, uh, you know, Minnesota's got a weird law and they, you know, whoever, you know, the prosecutors basically gave him a, a charge that basically is covered under their legal system. So they're just playing a legal game in that regard. The law can be interpreted how you want to interpret it in most situations, in most states. But I think if he had been a black cop that killed a white guy in that state, I think it would have been first degree murder. I think right now the jury's still out on this situation, but you never know. I mean, with more people involved in the situation, maybe it gets upgraded. But you know, right now, third degree, this guy gets some years, but I don't think it's gonna be a significant amount of years. 
So, Novak, one of the things, too, and I, and I agree with that, I think the reason why the prosecutors went after the third-degree charge and not a higher uh, degree is because that third-degree charge, you have a higher probability, I think, to find him guilty of that. Because with a third-degree charge, I think all you have to do is just prove that the person was negligent and that they caused death of the, of the party. Mm-hmm. You get into that first-degree uh, type of situation, I think that was the reason why we see a lot of these uh, police-involved shooters get off. I mean, I think even uh, Van Dyke, Jules, correct me if I'm wrong, he was found guilty of second-degree murder, correct? Right, yeah, because they tried – see, right, they went after that first degree. You, you're not going to get first degree. People who want to get first degree uh, – Pris, I'll, I'll explain after you finish your, your thought. Oh, um – Listen, so like like you said, Prez, Novak, that third degree, it's it's a better charge because it's the one you, you most likely he will get convicted of. Because if you go after that that first degree, that first degree, you they want you have to show intent that you was going to that you 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 was willing to go out there and and kill that that person you wanted to kill. It's it's like for example, you come home, you see your wife in bed with another dude. Three days later, you stuck you 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 stake old boy out and you walk up and kill him. It's premeditated. So, like like Perez said, have, a lot of times officers won't get that first degree because it's never premeditated. It's always they they cause they was a they there was caused to that scene. Um, something happened and just you know, and the person the person ended up losing his life. That third degree is your best chance of getting uh, a conviction for this officer because it didn't show intent. You didn't know you don't need intent for for third degree. And also two Jules, uh, explain that second degree manslaughter charge. Yeah, because it's a you know the second degree is a lesser is a less serious version of it. It's like a, a third degree, but it's it's it ignore an unreasonable risk. Uh, it's the constantly it's, it's take a chance of of causing death or great bodily harm. In other words, a person act carelessly and doesn't care about the harm of their carelessness you know, in that person of dying. So the act of he was, you know, let's just say somebody was opening a gas line that caused a deadly explosion and somebody get killed from that, that explosion, then that'll be a second degree manslaughter. His, his actions was, was that it was, he didn't, he had no regards of his action that in that somebody got killed from it. So, but that, I believe that second degree manslaughter is, is a lesser charge uh, than that third degree. I'm pretty sure they'll get that. They'll get a uh, conviction with that third degree. And like Novak said, it's uh, up to, I think, 25 years in uh, in jail. Yeah. The one thing, too, that I wanted to bring up real quick, just to kind of tie this uh, part up a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys even knew this, but I was doing a little research on this situation. And they were saying that the uh, the Minnesota Police Department they allowed their officers to to still use use chokeholds um, that have been barred in other cities. Because I know here in Chicago, those type of of policing uh, methods have been outlawed. And so what I heard was that a lot of their department, they haven't adopted to any of their reform. I mean, and obviously we know that they haven't removed a lot of their bad officers either. Um, And I would say in this situation, when you had Floyd, who was was a larger guy, that cop used that force because I guess he probably felt like he had to because of the size of the guy. You, you don't know what the thinking was, and I don't want to even try to assume. 
I even understand what went into his thinking when he, you know, when he did what he did. But Jules, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the the reform that you've seen? Because I know you talked about it briefly, but what type of tactics uh, do you guys use in those situations where things may get a little physical? See, see, here's the thing. The, if I can quickly, okay, so the use of forces break down like this. We have three, there's three categories for, for a subject. You, either the guy's cooperative, either he's a uh, resistor. So there's two types of resistor, a passive or aggressive. A passive resistor, he just doesn't respond to uh, verbal command. An active resistor, he's, he's fighting. He's, he, he, he's not fighting, I'm sorry. He's refusing to be detained, refusing to be handcuffed. And then you have uh, your assailant. Your assailant is somebody who's fighting, somebody who has a deadly weapon, somebody who has like a bat or a stick or something like that, brick, or a gun. Okay, so real quick, cooperative subject, that's what we want. Hey, sir, you know what? You can't be on this corner. If you do, we have, to, we, have to lock you, we have to come back and lock you up for trespass. Cool. Now, a resistor, active or passive, what our use of force uh, guidelines tells we can do, we can use pressure points, we can use... Uh, 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 emergency takedown and handcuffing, stunning techniques, open hand stunning techniques. We're not we're not fighting, just open hand just to get the guy to comply. Okay, and then of course your assailants. If somebody's if somebody's fighting, we can use taser spray, batons, and then of course if somebody have a deadly weapon, we can use deadly. We you know we can use deadly weapon. So that's how it breaks down as far as our use of force. Now with Floyd, he's already cuffed, so that means game over. That means you just put him in the car. If he's falling down or res not resistant or not want to comply, not want to get in the, the squad car, you just call it. I've done it plenty of times. You call a wagon where it's bigger, it's longer. Like I said, that guy's a big dude. He's a big dude, just like uh, Eric Gardner was a big guy too. See, some officers can be some officers can be a little timid and they don't know how to handle a, some, a subject that's, that's uh, big in size. They already psyched out mentally that oh man this dude can, this dude can do damage to me and they psyched themselves out already. But all they have to do is just give them command, say tell, talk to them, tell them hey this is what it's all about, and it's and it's and they can be able to to place dude in, in custody in in a better way. You can always use taser, you can always use spray, you can always use a lethal uh, weapon, and that's the one big thing that uh, the consent decree or what we've been uh, been been taught as a uh, late that to do to de-escalate to talk to talk, you know try to you know de-escalate the situation not you know escalate it. Well, I do. I hope I, I wasn't too. I hope I wasn't too fast and and, and I hope people was able to uh, understand. Yeah, no, I, I think they got a good idea, and I think this is really important to hear this coming from the viewpoint of someone that's in law enforcement because um, okay. we do need to hear from you, Jules, because. You know, like I said, that relationship needs to be, it needs to be rebuilt. And I think that over the course of this conversation that we're having tonight, I think, you know, people will start to see things maybe from a different standpoint. I mean, obviously people are very angry. We want to see change. But at the same time, uh, I do think that a lot of the things that you're saying, they come across well. And I think that our audience probably will receive them pretty well. Uh, Novak, I'm going to ask you. I hope you, so. I hope so. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Novak, uh, we have three other officers that are involved in this situation outside of that, that sh officer Chauvin. What do you want to see done to those officers? 
I think they, I think, you know, you definitely got to charge them with a crime in this situation because, um, you know, it's, it's probably abating, you know, it's probably aiding in this situation because, mm-hmm. you know, I look at it as like being a teammate. If, um, if you see your, you know, if you see somebody doing something and you know it's wrong, and especially something on that level, like toward murder at that point, I think you got to stop them. Or even Jill says that he's pulled other officers to the side and say, hey, that's wrong. I mean, I think they could have de-escalated that situation a lot quicker. But I think that adrenaline rush that uh, Shaven was on pretty much might have freaked them out. I think they froze in that moment. But at the same time, you know, I think that if you're able to stop him in that regard, I think you should have taken some type of action. But I think, you know, I'm looking at a charge, but I'm not looking at a charge that's, uh, you know, I think whatever happens here is life-changing for everybody involved. I mean, somebody's going to go to jail for a long time. Somebody else's life is going to be changed. So I don't take that lightly in that situation, but I do think that you got to have some form of discipline you know, with them. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not going to be, I don't see any major time coming out of what they witnessed and what they were, you know, what they're part of. I don't see it as being an accessory. No. In that situation, no. it's going to be a mild charge. They're going to lose their badge. But at the same time, I mean, you know, I think it just sets an example for future situations like this. It's where officers be trained properly to step in there and stop it. But, you know, it's unfortunate, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I always see some justice on that side. But at the same time, I can't see much coming out of it, to be honest with you. I think I think Shaven's the target at this point. Yeah, I I, I, I can agree with Novak. Uh, see, the thing is, uh, Shaven is the... Is the the main person. Now, the what was his name? Tao, Officer Tao, mm-hmm. if that's how you say it. He looked new. He looked new and just, he looked like, I'm just speculating. He looked new and didn't know what to do. He was just standing around just looking around just, and the other two was behind him, behind um, Shaven. So I'm not sure if they can, I'm not sure if they can see what was going on, but I'm pretty sure, damn sure they, they heard what's going on. So, you know, Sometimes I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kid you guys. Sometimes people just yell out, "I can't breathe." I you know from 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 uh, Eric Garden. Just I remember a guy yelled out, "I can't." He could he yelled out to me, "I can't breathe," and I didn't even touch him. So, um, I just believe that the other other three officers they might get they might get charged for uh for aiding, but maybe maybe just. Uh, probation i don't see them they lost their jobs and i'm pretty sure it i'm pretty sure those officers are 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 messed up mentally because i know if if they have a heart i know they probably saying damn i wish i would have done something no you're right about that that uh officer i think it's tau tau i don't know he uh, okay he's actually been on the force for a little while and i and i saw that he's been involved with at least six uh issues of uh, excessive force uh, being used on, on people, and actually, one of the situations uh, required the state to uh, have to settle with the victim. I think it was like a fifty thousand dollars settlement. Mm. So, I mean, you know that that just kind of goes into what we were talking about a little bit about that. You know, Minnesota Police Department how they need to clean house because these are the kind of guys mm-hmm. that they have paroling. You know, the, the street mm-hmm. in that situation, and I just think that that's really a. Uh, really problematic mm-hmm. so we all agree that pretty much that it's going to be a reform there's going to be reform in, in minneapolis well i mean they're going to be because, forced 
they're going to be forced to. Yeah. You know, you know what happens, man, when, when people are watching. And that's why this whole situation, uh, I kind of push back on certain parts about what both of you guys said, because if the, if the camera isn't rolling, if we don't see this video, then there's going to be none of this outrage. There's going to be none of this push for people to want to make change within this department. These type of situations only become uh, a thing where everybody gets behind because we're seeing video. The Ahmed Arbery situation, we saw a video where these guys plotted and they gunned this brother down. We see this situation mm -hmm. with Eric Garner, as you brought up. Uh, we see the situation here with, with Floyd. These situations are basically being put on video for everybody to see. So the world now has a stage to be able to watch this. And, and it, to me, it shouldn't take situations like that to happen for people to actually say, wow, this is a problem. Wow, this is messed up, right? Because I'm just going to say this to you, Jules. In the past, when these situations happened, a lot of times police officers, you know, they had that code of silence with one another. These situations would happen, and they would say that the, the person, the victim, they would say that he was an aggressor in a situation. And we find out later that that person was not an aggressor. But we didn't have video at the time to be able to dispute those type of claims. So I do agree with you in a sense that we are going to see reform. But my whole thing is, can we just see reform for the benefit of reform and not because a traumatic situation like this happened where they're going to be forced to have to have reform? That's, that's the, the inherent problem that I have with this situation. Probably not. Reform just a reform? Probably not. Like I say, if, if it's not broke on their eyes, they ain't going to fix it. Only time they might change some things because people, you know, they put a black, a, a black eye to the department, then we're going to fix it. They're not gonna. They're not gonna uh, uh, be proactive. They're gonna react. So, unfortunately, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, and and that's sad. And that's sad. To, you know what? You at least you're honest because that's the way I feel too. Um, Novak, I'm I'm coming back to you on this one, brother. Uh, in your opinion, why do you think these situations keep happening to people of color? I think, I think there's you know there's you know there's a fear. There's a fear and a misunderstanding of you know people of color in this country. I think that um, you know you look. We were talking about it earlier about you know where these cops come from, and you know different law enforcement. You know it's all about having you know life experience sometimes. I mean, trying to be relatable to the people that you protect in certain areas, and I think these situations happen a lot because. If you grow up a certain way and you get put in a certain neighborhood and you don't quite understand the politics of that neighborhood or understand how people communicate, you might take plain the dozens as being threatened. You know what I mean in that situation? You might take F you. Well, F you everywhere is kind of threatening. But I think that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's having that rapport sometimes. I think a lot of times is that you can go to the academy you could train, you could, you know, you can learn everything about trying to be officer from a textbook, but I think it takes years of patience and growth as a person in order to be able to serve that community. And I think a lot of these problems keep happening over and over because we as uh, people have not, you know, we as people from the black community um, also need to understand that some of these people aren't adequately prepared to serve us sometimes. And then those people that are serving us need to learn that, you know, they need to learn how to be better communicators with that mouthpiece 
in order to get things done before you use your hands or you pull out the gun at this point. But I think that, um, you know, these situations will keep happening over and over because it's like, you know, until we as black people stand up and turn that corner and make it known that this is unacceptable and we do something about it and there's more legislation passed to make these things more stick better, you know, you're going to have these problems. And I think from the law enforcement side of the house, law enforcement, you know, you know, just to, just to be fair here, has to be allowed to do their jobs and it's got to be more communication. That relationship between people and the people in law enforcement needs to be repaired immediately before anything else is done in this country. I think that this case just brings, this situation, this murder just brings the light that we got a, you know, we got a failed situation right now. But I think that, you know, we just got to learn to talk better to each other. We got to learn to communicate better. And we got to learn to, you know, read the situations. You know, I, I know we shouldn't have to read the situation, but it is what it is right now. Until we turn that corner and build that trust between both groups, reading the situation is the only option for survival at this point or, or tougher laws to protect us from, you know, being murdered in their own communities. Um, you know, it is, you have this chart, this pie chart. And I think the, the problem is, one of the problem is, you have officers that's coming in, probably never dealt with black people. That you get a lot of officers that's coming in that's 20 years, 21 years old, 22, real young, that haven't been in situations. This is their first job. And you give them a badge and a gun and their situation, they have to go in and you have to tell them, okay, handle this situation, real life situation that they have, they know absolutely nothing about. So that can, that's one of the problems. Some, some people, there's people from out of, out of this state coming in to join an apartment. What do you know about Chicago? There's people from different uh, 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 towns and stuff like that and cities coming to Chicago because of the reputation and, you know, stuff like that. It's cool, but you never dealt with people in, in the city. Now, I'm not going to lie. Here's the thing. That's on the law enforcement side. Now, us as a people, goddamn, we can do a lot better. We can do a lot better because majority, I'm not going to lie to you, majority of the crime and stuff like that is coming out of these black neighborhoods. I've been on job 15 years. My God, I, 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 we don't have time to go over this stuff, but majority of the stuff is coming from our neighborhoods. More, the, all the killings is coming from, majority of the killings come from our, in our neighborhood. You know, and other things that it, I, I don't really want to get into. And you kind of get jaded. I'm not going to lie. I'm glad that we have vacations and we have people to talk to. And if you don't believe in God, you better get yourself a damn good replacement because you're going to need that out, that outreach person to talk to because the stuff you see on this job will, will, will change your mind about, about the people you, you patrolling you, that you're supposed to be protecting. Not all of them are bad and not all of them are good either. You got some, you got some stone cold killers out there, some stone cold criminals out there and you got to deal with it. So you get jaded. You get your, I think that's one of the things. See, the problem is civilians and police, we need each other in order to get rid of the criminals or get rid of the bad, uh, bad police officers. We tell, we tell people don't be, you know, we tell people that, that to don't have this no snitch rule, but we can't have a no snitch rule either. So I think 
uh, what what we can do is just we need to come and sit together and have a real conversation. Didn't need to have a real situation. We need to have real and raw uh, opinions and thoughts. And it might hurt, but we can get we. That's what if it, it needs to take that, then that's what it needs to take. Because there's both there's blames on both sides. There's gonna be there can be uh, accountability on both sides, and we can build a better relation if both sides are choosing and willing to have a better relationship. Well, the one thing that I had on that, and 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 definitely well said, and I and I agree with what both of you guys said. Because Novak, I mean, you you bring up really good points. I think a lot of it does start with us in certain situations. So I'm not going to put all the blame on the police. There's enough, I think, to go both ways. And then obviously, Jules. You see a lot every day, you know, when you're out there doing your job. So I, I definitely get where you're coming from. I think my standpoint, though, where, where I see that there's a, a way that we can potentially make better changes, I think there needs to be more of a cultural and political change, however. I mean, we're, we continue as an African-American community to vote people into office that are not fighting for us. They're not doing anything law-wise to do anything to make our lives better. They're not doing anything to do anything uh, for us. However, when it's time for election time, they're coming to our churches, they're coming into our neighborhoods and they're, they're you know acting like, oh man, we're here for the culture. Yeah, you're here for the culture where you can get that vote and then we don't see you again for three, four years and you're not doing anything for us. So for me, I think that's where we need to have that change. I think those individuals are the ones that need to help fix that relationship between the police and communities. To me, it shouldn't just be all on community leaders. It shouldn't be all on community members. I think that the individuals that we're voting in, I think they have a responsibility to, to do more for us. Uh, I think training is another thing that we need to basically make sure that all police departments across this country should have revised ways that they're going about doing things. So that way the reform and the policies are uniform. You shouldn't be doing things here in Chicago, Jules, that this department over here in Minnesota is not doing. Because it has to be uniform. Because if not, then we're always going to have these discrepancies in the way policing is being done in this country, right? I also think that we need to start having more independent investigations, um, especially in these situations where deadly force is being used. We've already seen in this situation with Mr. Floyd how the initial report came out that he died from basically what they tried to say, heart disease and uh, pre-existing conditions. And then an independent autopsy mm-hmm. came out and they're like, no, this guy, uh, what they say, asphyxiation was the, the cause of death? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my thing is we need to have more transparency around these situations. And so that's just kind of how, how I kind of see it. Uh, and, and also too I'm just going to put this onus on some of our friends here that have privilege we need everybody here all hands on deck to kind of help us and they, we need everybody to join in on this fight I've had a lot of people reach out to me over the last couple of weeks checking in with me you know hey are you good you're alright press you know and, I, and my response to them have always been it's been the same this is a tough time this is, but this should be a tough time for all of us. This isn't just an issue for black people. This is an issue of racism that should be a U.S. or American issue. This shouldn't just be about 
me. So when they reach out to me, I'm like, hey, this is all of our problem. And we should all be fighting to basically do more to help, right? So what I've been doing is I've been issuing a challenge to these people that have been reaching out to me. And my biggest thing is this is, do you guys have the fucking guts to stand up for what's right? Will you stand up with me? Will you stand up with people that look like me, right? Because at the end of the day, we need people to stop making excuses for what they're seeing in these situations. Stop apologizing for these situations and, and saying, well, we don't know the full story. We didn't see the full video. You're seeing people get murdered. Let's stop apologizing for what we're seeing and let's call a spade a spade. And I think the most dangerous thing that people are doing and they have to stop doing this, they need to stop sitting back and being silent. Because when you're sitting back and you're not saying anything about a situation, you're just as guilty as the people that are out here doing those things. That's just the way I see it. Man, that's what's up, man. Um, I don't even, I mean, we can talk about this forever, man. I mean, to have a full, uh, I listen, you, the only thing about reforming, you can reform for Minneapolis, you can reform, there's things you can do, but you also got to remember that the police officers have to be protected because there are, are real criminals out here and the police have to do their job. Like Novak said, we need the tools to do our job. The only thing, the only thing that Minneapolis had to do, either they should have, they should, when they fire old boy, they should have locked, they should have charged them too, and you wouldn't have none of this, or the other, or the other, or somebody should have dragged dude off the uh, off Floyd's neck, and you wouldn't be in this. So, it, it's just little things, just, to, just it is little things you can clean, clean up and 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 implement and 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 have those reforms there. But you also got to realize we got to be realistic with this reform. You can't reform saying abolish police or take away their guns. And we have to be realistic because crime is crime is out of control. And there are real people out here that's doing real things. And we have to have the tools to do our job. It's just like I say, it's it, it beginning to me, my opinion, this is not a police issue. It's 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 a human issue. There's people on the jobs. They they in the jobs for the wrong reason or is actually a mistake. Or, you know, say in, in that case. So it, 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 when we talk about reform, it has to be realistic reform. And that's just, that's just me just uh, be, that, that, that being a, a black man in America and also being a police officer. Yeah, we, we can, it, it, it has to be, it, for, reform can happen, but it just has to be realistic where police officers can do their job. That's all. No, and I, and I agree with that. But I think we're, what that comes down to is that just comes down to both parties understanding each other, rebuilding that relationship, mm -hmm. and, and we kind of go from there. But no, I do agree with that. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the exactly. day, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, we all need to be a part of the change, and then that's that's it. I mean, I can't I can't be any more clear than that. Novak. Oh, do you? you that's what I heard call our final segment. This episode, man. Fellas, this this was a good one. This this curtain call goes out to all the people of color that have been killed by the police dating back to 2016. George Floyd, Sean Reed, Breonna Taylor, Stephen DeMarco Taylor, Arian McCree, Terrence Franklin, Miles Hall. William Green, 
Samuel David Mallard to Mayor Rice. Botham Shem Jean, E.J. Bradford, Michael Dean, Jamie Johnson, Michael Brown, Antoine Rose, Stephen Clark, Yaisan Muhammad, Finan H. Burrow, Darius Tarver, Kwame Jones, Devon Bailey, Christopher Whitfield, Anthony Hill, Eric Logan, Jamarian Robinson, Gregory Hill Jr., Jaquavion Slayton, Ryan, Ryan uh, Twyman, Brandon Weber, Jimmy Atchison, William McCoy, Emanic Fitzgerald Bradford Jr., Diedrich Griffin, Jamel Roberson, DeAndre Ballard, Robert Lawrence White, Anthony Lamar Smith, Romarley Graham, Manuel Logans Jr., Wendell Allen, Kendrick McDade, Larry Jackson Jr., Jonathan Farrell, Jordan Baker, Victor White III, Dontre Hamilton, Eric Gardner, John Crawford III, Ezel Ford, Dante Parker, uh, Kajim Powell, Laquan McDonald, Akai Gurley, Rumaine Brisbane, Jerame uh, Jer uh, Reed, Charlie Kinnon, Tony Robinson, Walter Scott, Freddie Gray, Brandon Glenn, Samuel DeBose, Christian Taylor, Jamar Clark, Mario Woods, uh, Quintaro LeGreer, Gregory Gunn, Akil Dinkins, Alton Sterling, Philandro Castile, Terrence Sterling, Terrence Crutcher, Keith Lamont Scott, Alfred Olango, Jordan Edwards, Danny Ray Thomas, uh, Dewan uh, Guillotine, Patrick Harmon, Jonathan Hart, Maurice Granton, and Julius Johnson. Jules, hit us with that final thought. Hey, we talked in detail about George Floyd's death by the hands, or knee rather, of that white ex-police officer, Shabin Chauvin, whoever his name is. A lot of people went out the way in on it. Politicians, activists, celebrities, common folk. A lot of them, and I do agree, black men, we are under attack. Black men, we are, as black men, we are being hunted. 
hunted either by the world system or hunted by men that look like us in our own neighborhoods. But one thing I don't don't agree is when people say we should be we should be scared to be a black man, scared to leave your homes, or afraid to uh to get by get stopped by the police. You become a George uh George Floyd. You become a Breonna Taylor. Afraid if you in this if you're in the world trying to make a living, you get gunned down like Officer Underwood, or get gunned down like Yaya Barbecue owner David McGatty. Brothers, I'm telling you today, do not listen to that negativity. Don't let people speak weakness in your lives. For God have not given you the spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, the spirit of love, the spirit of a sound mind. You must lose that fear. You must gain power. You must gain love. And you must lose that fear of, of a sound mind, which means having a mental capacity to understand what is going on around you and to make important decisions. You have to draw a line in that negativity, draw a line in that weakness. Or, 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 so don't go through life feeling, feeling like you're powerless. Victim, victims are people that are powerless. You're, you're not powerless, you're powerful. You direct that power in your life. And it really doesn't matter what happened to you. What matters is what you do about it. That's what's matter. So you can allow that fear to destroy you or you can allow your power to build you. You can allow that power to develop you you can let that power to, to increase you. You can let that power to shape and mold you. So go unleash that power and change your world. Chris. Jules, thanks for that final thought. Novak, that curtain call uh, probably uh, will be to me probably one of our best curtain calls. Uh, just listening to all those names that you read off, uh, it's tough to hear, but for our listeners, that's just something that we want you guys to just take a listen to and just kind of hear where we're coming from on this episode. I mean, we all came from this from different, you know, viewpoints, but at the same time, our message is united and our message is that we need to change. We need to change the way that we're perceived and we need to make a lot of change in the way that African-Americans are viewed, not only by police, but viewed just by people in general in this country. So, with that being said, episode 17 is in the books. We want to thank you guys for your continued support of this podcast. As always, you can follow this podcast on Spotify. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast. We're also on iHeartRadio. As always, we appreciate the support. Thanks for listening. Peace. Just a big dog, yeah. I can't look at me,